This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Tide Chasers Podcast. I am flying solo today as Qua is uh, working, got called into work a little bit late, but we have an exciting guest this week. Really look forward to talking to this gentleman. We followed each other and, and you know, talked back and forth time to time on uh, Instagram. And this guy is an incredible fisherman. He fishes at Chesapeake Bay and the tributaries uh, pretty frequently, and that's that's his home waters. And uh, I'd like to introduce you to Eric Packard. Welcome, Eric. How you doing? Hey, how you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I'm excited to, to have a chat with you. So, so uh, you, uh, we've talked in, in the past about different things and you're a multi-species angler like myself and, and you get out there probably, I don't know, three or four times more than myself, but we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> so we, we kind of jump in and, uh, and introduce our guests and then kind of get a little bit of their backstory. Um, we like to discuss how you broke into the, the world of fishing and some of your early influences background, whether it be family and, and things and such that got you into it. So how did you get started fishing? Well, my dad was in the service. I was born in Frankfurt, Germany. My mother's Czechoslovakia. And so I've lived in uh, Indiana, Ohio, Kansas, Alabama, Georgia, and Maryland. And um, so my dad retired and we ended up in, I've lived in Germany too. I've lived in Frankfurt, Stuttgart, Mannheim. Um, I was born in Frankfurt. Anyway, um, so traveling around and when my dad had time, when he wasn't in Vietnam or Korea or someplace like that, when he's back at home, he, I got a twin brother. Um, there's actually seven of us, but uh, he'd take us fishing. And um, I think the first fishing memories I'd have would probably be uh, fishing um, Missouri River, Kansas, fishing for, um, you know, whatever, we can get out of the river, sit there, uh, hit bottom fishing, you know, usually with night crawlers or something like that. But then um, I remember um, my earliest memory of fishing by myself, I was 10 years old. This is 1970. So uh, we, he was stationed at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. And um, I, I actually had the fishing rod right here in the lure. I actually caught my first bass on. Um, this is Zepco 77. And um, we, there's a pond near where we live in the um, housing. And I walked down to the pond 
And I don't know what I was fishing with for, what I was looking for at the time, but um, I saw this lure, this topwater lure. It's a little red and yellow topwater uh, popper type of bait. All right. And um, at any rate, so I tied it on my Zepco 77 and I cast it out there and I caught this largemouth bass. I'm not sure how big it was. I don't recall it. To me, it was a giant. So I remember running back to the house and showing my mom and all proud about it. So uh, from that first bass, I was hooked. Been fishing usually, that's usually how it works. So, you, you know, you get, you get introduced early and then, uh, and then it's game on from there. And that, that's how it was. My mom was the one that introduced me. My dad worked overnight. So, you know, I got to fish a lot of those. Uh, I lived in Delaware at the time. So Lum's pond was our, our place to go. It's, it's a pretty popular, um, upper Delaware pond. And, you know, we, we, we would out, go out there and fish for bluegills. And then from there, you know, we moved out to Maryland and then a lot of my fishing started on the, the Chesapeake Bay myself. So my, my real fishing. Yeah. Um, when we moved to Ohio, that's when I really started picking it up. I had a friend named Shane and his dad was a big fisherman. Um, he was a cabinet maker, but he had time. He self-employed, so he had time to go fishing. And he'd take us up to Belfine, Ohio, where they stocked um, rainbow trout. And we'd get spinning gear and just use um, corn, actually just corn husk um, and wrap it up into a little um, small, um, I guess it was like mesh. And we just cast it out there and let it drift down like you would with salmon eggs or something like that. Sure, and we sure. would kill. And then so that started the whole thing. And then Shane, my twin brother, my, Steve and I, we'd go camping and fishing. There were rivers there's, um, in Dayton, Ohio, there's five rivers come together. So there's always plenty of rivers to fish in. There's reservoirs to fish in uh, stone quarries. Like you don't see around here, big, limestone quarries have big bass in them which fish in those uh, a lot of smallmouth out of the rivers uh fishing with crawfish for those that, that type of thing walleye up at lake erie um, oh, you're, you're, you're speaking my language with the walleye there <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, walleye. That, that's that's my my favorite wintertime fishery there so so now you're that's your early days how did that transition to you now in in maryland well when we moved to maryland 21 years ago i took a job so i trans had to move here brought the family with me and of course and um we ended up well, i was working a lot and i travel a lot i've been to every state by hawaii for work and traveling around so when i travel someplace uh, people knew i like to fish so we go fishing so offshore or on a lake someplace and stuff like that but um when we came to maryland i was really taken aback um because what i realized early on was that a lot of the anglers here in maryland were looking at the bay and there's their big focus, to be honest with you, a lot of guys were solely um, back in the day, you know, I'm talking um, 98, early 2000s. Stuff, and a lot of guys still do today, they're trollers. They want to get out there. They want to put their rigs out. They just want to pull baits all day long, just pull, pull, pull and catch some big fish. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, because I'm used to freshwater fishing. Right. And I'm thinking, well, I, you know, what about all the water behind me? You got the rivers up in the mountains. You got the reservoirs around here. Um, you even have the tributaries. A lot of guys were fishing, um, to be honest with you, I live on Mill Creek here in Solomon's and, okay. um, there's a soft launch down there. I can uh, launch my kayak off of it. And, um, I'm out there fishing and I'm catching rockfish and I'm catching perch and, um, Mill Creek is actually pretty unique in itself because, um, anyway, what I was going to say is I'm catching these fish and I'm looking at these charter boat guys going out. So, so I asked one guy one day, I said, why are you taking, you know, I'm catching fish right here. I'm catching keepers. You guys can just go right here. He goes, but they're paying to go out into the bay to catch fish out there, not to go around the corner, sit there and come right back in. And fish. <laughs> you know, right. Do that. So, you know, they're fishing out there. 
you got to give them a little bit of the experience as well, right? Well, that's what they're paying for. They're paying for the experience. Yeah, where, where you where you what you're talking about there, it is a pretty unique uh, area because you get a lot of different fish in that area. You know, you get a lot of your uh, saltwater run fish that come up in that area, and then you also get yeah, uh, you know, the striped bass and everything else. So, well, right here at uh, well, Mill Creek dumps into the uh, Patuxent River, right. and um, right then you go around around the corner and up the other side towards the, the big bridge, the Tom Johnson Bridge and um, Point Patience, um, but. Um, then we control through there. Uh, we catch, to be honest with you, on my kayak, I catch bluefish, I catch mackerel, I catch rockfish um, out of Mill Creek. Um, of course, white perch out of Mill Creek here. And then I've caught uh, puppy drum out of here. Um, I catch weak fish out of here. I catch speckled trout out of here. If I go further up, I can catch carp. If I go a little bit further up, I'm catching um, largemouth bass and snakehead. And I can stand on this little peninsula up at the very end of it. I can cast on one side and catch a, you know, 16, 15, 18 inch rockfish. Cast on the other side, I'm catching, you know, 12 inch, 13 inch largemouth bass. It's pretty wild, man. It's pretty wild. You have all that right in your backyard. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm jealous, but I, 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 I envy you slightly. Now, now, as you've evolved uh, into <laughs> well, that, the. That's, um, just, that's just Mill Creek. Now <laughs> Hey, you can elaborate. If, if you can elaborate from there if you'd like. No, that's fine. I mean, anybody's welcome. I mean, it's open water. Anybody can fish it. I'm not. Yeah. And then if you go Back Creek, right up the other side there, uh, Back Creek was holding a lot of decent size um, uh, redfish this year, puppy drum. Yeah, I heard yeah. about that. And then I'm, I'm pretty close to Point Lookout as well. Uh, if you put it on Point Lookout and go down by the um, the lighthouse, there's some um, slot fish there, puppy drum. Very nice. Very nice. Now, yep, as yep. you've evolved into a multi-species fisherman uh, that you are today, how did you decide that that was the path that you wanted to take as opposed to being exclusive to one fish, like a bass fisherman per se? Because I have an attention span like a gnat and I get bored doing one thing. So I need to find different challenges to what I want to catch. I, that, that's exactly <laughs> how what it is, man. That's exactly how I am. I, I literally could be fishing for landlocked salmon one day and redfish the next day. I, I, I just, I like to mix it up, man. I, I need variety in my yeah. life. And well, I, I, I get I'll, I'll actually do that the same day. I'll, I'll get up in the morning and I'll be, I'll go down here. It doesn't happen often, but I'll go down here fishing uh, Mill Creek. I'll catch some perch or catch a rockfish or maybe I might catch 15 rockfish or something. And then I'm, I'm done at lunchtime, come, come to the house, eat. Uh, leave everything in the in the truck, and then I'm off to fish at St. Mary's Lake and catch a largemouth bass in the afternoon. There you go. Can't beat hey, it. Be, being retired every day Saturday. Tomorrow's always Sunday. <laughs> there you go. All right. Yeah, I I, uh, I don't live the retired life, but I try and maximize my trips. So yeah, I, I love I love the yeah. the variety that that our area, the Mid Atlantic, has to offer. Really, it's it, there's there's so much fishing in this area. There, there is. And then um, you got Maryland has everything from the mountains. You got a savage um, river. You can fish up there. You can go up to um, Emmett and that way you can fish for, you know, rainbow. You can fish for brook trout um, or you can fish Potomac River. Potomac River is a great fishery, uh, has a ton of fish in it. Um, Patuxent River, too. A lot of people don't realize Patuxent River is such a wonderful fishery. Uh, you go all the way up to Tridelphia, Rocky Gorge. Uh, you're getting musky. You're getting all kinds of nice fish up there, smallmouth bass. Um, this year up at Tridelphia, I want to say I'm, I, I must have caught close to 80 pike out of there. Wow, very nice. Not any real size to them, but some nice pike. Yep, yeah, yeah. Fish yeah. everywhere. 
Need those TT yep. fish to mix it up for sure. Now, having talked to you a little bit prior to uh, a couple days ago, you had mentioned that uh, you have some pretty incredible numbers of stats this, this year. You know, you mentioned uh, that you fished 225 days this year, which I think is now up to 227, you said. 41 different species. Um, how did how yeah. your fishing, um, how does your experience this year compare to last year, you know, pandemic and everything else? Well, last year, um, from the pandemic, um, I, I actually just started focusing more on fishing rather than doing little things because it's just not happening. So um, I was able to fish more. I think I fished two 45 days last year, um, but I only caught, I think, 36 species. This year I got 41. I had a chance to go offshore uh, more than a couple times. Um, I went offshore with a friend of mine down in North Carolina, catching wahoo, squirrel fish, uh, tile fish, uh, AJs, things like that. So th that was fun. Very nice. Yeah, if you ever want to come I up, think uh, it, I think it was last. Go ahead. What's that? I, you said you think it was last year. Yeah, you're you're breaking up. Um, I was going to say about last year. Last year, um, uh, I was fishing. We actually took a kayak out, went 30 miles offshore, uh, catching um, my my off a kayak. Wow, that, that's Dropped a dream. It off the boat. Yeah, got in the ocean. <laughs> Molly coming over top of your head while you're hooking them. <laughs> Can't beat that. Big ones? Yes. Mahis, on the, Mahis are on the list for me. I haven't caught one yet, so I, I, they're on my list. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. They're not too far off Ocean City. You yeah. can get out there and catch them. You catch them off of black bass spots, um, any kind of floating debris or something like that. They'll be hanging around those. You bait them up with squid and start casting on them, and you'll catch them. Very nice. I'll have fairly to easy try. to catch. So now you do most of your damage uh, from the kayak, obviously. Um, out of the 225 days that you fished this year, were they most of them from the kayak? Do you do you distinguish the difference? Yeah, I distinguish the difference. Um, let me check here real quick. Could I actually break out how many days I fish on a boat, but I don't break it down by power boat or kayak. Got it. Um, so I've actually fished, out of the 227, I fished 160 days out of a boat. So the other uh, balance of the days are um, farm pond fishing, uh, trout fishing with a fly rod, casting a fly rod on a rainbow or something like that, or um, you know river fishing, wade fishing. Nothing like putting on a pair of chest waders or hip waders and walking in the water and 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 picking fish up. Even lake fishing, I like to uh, throw waders on for those. Um, where was I going to go with it? The but the rest of it is my kayak, and then um, I have friends that have boats. Uh, since I don't own a boat. And I'm not sure if I really, I'm thinking about getting like a um, heavy duty John boat because I want to take one up to the, um, want to be able to fish the Potomac River. And for muskie, I've caught muskie up at the Potomac River. And I'd like to uh, get up there in a boat, but my friends all have center consoles because they're all out here at the bay. So uh, they, they want somebody to go, I jump on a boat with them and um, I help out with that, um, which is a lot of fun. A lot of guys I, I know, um, they're, they don't get to fish as much as I do. So they want somebody on the boat with them to, you know, we can talk and banter and, and get on fish that way. But um, with the kayak, I fish out of a uh, 10 and a half foot or 10 foot uh, native kayak. Uh, it's a propel pedal system, hands-free. I don't have to paddle or anything like that. So, and then I've got, um, if I'm going to troll, I put rod holders on it. Most of the time I'm casting along the shoreline. Um, I've actually taken up to uh, Tridelphia uh, this year with the cicada uh, run you know, the 17 year cicada hatch. Um, I'm up there with a eight weight catching 
um, you know, 24 inch carp up there and bring them in on the boat, which is a blast to do that. Side casting on them, you see them go across, cast on them and, and, and pick them up that way. That, that's a lot of fun to do that. So, um, and the kayak's big enough, I can stand on it. Um, I take it everywhere from, I take it in the bay too. Um, I'll go out here or uh, I have access to a couple of beaches here in Calvert that I can uh, put the kayak in there and go out into the bay and um, catch, um, you know, rockfish, trout, things like that. Um, big thing I want to do, I want to try next year. I thought about doing it this year, but the year got away from me. Um, get one of my friends to throw my kayak on um, their boat, take me out there near the uh, target ship and cast on some cobia uh, with my kayak and get a cobia to kayak that way. Be fun. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I fished the, uh, I fished the ships uh, down in um, Virginia myself and was looking around there. I didn't see any, but yeah, I, I fish from a, uh, a Hobie compass and I don't okay. have, I don't have the propel system, which I, I kind of, I kind of like, but I do have reverse. Now the, mm -hmm. the, obviously the difference with you and me is that you can instantly reverse with the pedal system and I have to pull a board, yeah. which is kind of a pain. Yeah. So. Well, with me, I actually like it. I'm so used to doing it anymore. If I hook a fish, I automatically just start going and putting tension on the fish with the rod because it, it's actually very beneficial because like um, right now I'm in a tournament for um, coastal conservation, CCA, the pickle tournament going on. It run, it started in November. It'll run through February. So if you guys still want to join and get involved, it's uh, CCA pickle tournament. And um, actually I did the artwork for the uh, part of the artwork for the logo. I, I do artwork. I'm an artist as well. I do um, paintings of fish and things like that. Anyway, what I was going to say is that um, with the kayak, I'm in the tournament and it happened already once this year. I'll be fishing either minnows or I'll be casting or something or trolling. And I got two fish on so I can keep one rod with the fish on it while I bring the one in, net it, put the rod down, grab it and bring the other one in, net it with that with that ability to instantly go in reverse and just keep a little bit of pressure on the fish so it doesn't get any slack in the line to throw the bait. You know, it's yeah, it's cool. great. It's great. I, I'm a little bit, I, I'm a little bit, uh, I've been considering one of those and, and maybe keeping the compass for my son or something like that when he gets older, but uh, I haven't, I haven't decided to pull the trigger yet, but I like that propel system simply because I fish a lot of dock pilings and things like that and yeah. having to stop and switch in between, it, it can blow me off five to 10 feet in the period of time that I'm able to switch. So, you yeah, know, yeah. It, there is, there is, uh, there is some, some drawbacks and obviously Hobie has the big name, but I love the kayak overall. Yeah. I, I will well, keep I, it. I, what, what length kayak do you have? It's like 13 foot seven, I think. 13 okay. foot three. Okay. Yeah. I've got another one that's in the sand, but it's 10 foot. Then I have another one that's a 14 and a half foot kayak, but it's a two person kayak. But um, what I like about mine is, and I like the length of it. Um, well, it's only 60, 68 pounds or something like that. So it's easy to lift and move yeah. around. Um, and then that's with that propel system on because it just snaps on, lays on there. But, um, what I like about the length is, though, if I'm fishing um, heavy reeds, heavy weeds, heavy um, lily pads for snakehead, then I can uh, really maneuver that boat around in a narrow space rather than getting hung up or something like that. Uh, the only disadvantage is, is that, like with the Hobie, the um, paddles fold up yeah. to get hung up. This, you can actually get stuff caught in your blade, but it's not that you can't lift it up out of the way, or, or if I need to, I can flip it around and laid on the front of the kayak and then I can go back into the weeds and stuff like that. So, but yeah, I had, quick I had my, I had my compass out for the first time after snakeheads, like very late. I think it was beginning of October. 
Um, it's the first time I took it on in the swamp and I, I had a very successful trip, but yeah, it's, it's, it is a drag trying to get through, you know, the, the, the areas where the fish are with it, with a Hobie yeah. for sure. You almost have the paddle the whole, most of the way. Yeah. A lot of guys will, um, they'll drag their kayaks out. And what they'll do is they'll get a paddleboard paddle. Mm-hmm. And when they stand on their kayak, then they'll use the paddleboard paddle to move themselves around. Um, in my kayak, I've got uh, places that one, two, I have five places I can store rods on, so it's easy to reach around and grab a rod. Um, if I'm fishing in some heavy stuff, I might just bring the boat into that so the wind doesn't blow me too far around off course. I can just sit there and just cast into the empty pockets and looking for fish that way. Now, do you prefer subsurface or topwater? For snake Um, uh, Of course, everybody likes topwater. Topwater is the great you know, blow-ups and stuff on them, but uh, it all depends uh, where you're fishing. Um, if you're fishing like Mattawoman, um, well, Mattawoman or um, Mallows Bay, um, the Blackwater, and you have to divide them up where you're going to fish on that day because they're big. They're a lot of wa- there's a lot of water there, and you can cover a lot of water. But um, are you going to fish the lily pads? You're going to fish the grasses? Or are you going to fish stump fields? Or are you going to fish drop offs? Because uh, these fish, like any, and uh, like well, the three I named are all tidal anyway. So these fish are working with the tide. Right. When the water gets up, they're really far back in there, and you got to get way back there to get them. Uh, using thirty-pound braid with a twenty-pound leader on it, the fish don't care what the leader is. Honestly, they, they don't care. Yeah. So you're throwing um, uh, frogs, and um, when I'm fishing for them, a lot of guys throw frogs, and they're throwing like largemouth bass frogs, the big frogs. I throw the smallest frog I can find. They they'll eat that because as big a fish as they can be. Um, their mouths, the way they, I think, I, I can't tell, I think they're freaking blind. I don't know. <laughs> they, <they're> just, <laughs> I, I think they're going after sound. I think they're vibration because there's plenty of times where they'll have a fish come out of there. My bait's flying up here and this fish come out of the water looking for my bait. Um, but I like to use a small, small bait. Um, and it, it all depends. I, the biggest, I caught a 33 is my biggest. And I um, caught him um, that day. I think I caught a 33. A 31 and a 30, 29, 30. Um, and they were all on a fluke. Very nice. Yeah. So that day they were eating that and they were just, you know, taking off after that. I, I, I personally, my preference to tar- target them is going to be subsurface. I like a nice spinner bait or, uh, uh, or, a you know, a chatter bait or something like that. Just simply mm-hmm. because I find that, that the fight is more intense um, when they're below the water, I, I, I've often caught them top water and skied them right in. But I agree with you with the small baits. I did so much damage with those those original jawbone mice. They were like two inches and it was like the perfect size. I got made fun of by my buddies for so long for it because I was using like this two dollar lure and I'm crushing snakeheads mm-hmm. on it. But uh, my biggest my 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 personal best was originally a 12 pounder. I caught on on a two two inch jawbone mouse one time. But yeah, I mean, I, I prefer those the mm-hmm. smaller uh, top water baits too, because I, I agree with you. They, they do seem to have a sight issue. Um, I have learned that they do feed very generally, uh, very specifically based off of lateral lines. So they are looking for the, you know, the vibration and things like that. So yeah, that's why I went. When I've, it, I've actually, I've whatever. actually seen them attacking somebody, another uh, snake is fry ball. Yeah. They're just going into it and eating it, eating it. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when hey, it, when um, it's difficult to hook in on them too sometimes because they don't know where where the where your bait is. That's why 
I, whenever anybody's fishing for them for rain and they'll ask me for tips on it, I'll say, Hey, go subsurface because anything up top is going to be kind of drowned out by the rain. You want to find something that's going to be in the zone that they're in. So. Well, if you said, if I'm fishing uh, any of those areas, even if I'm fishing pads, um, I'm fishing top water. And when I'm fishing top water, I'm actually um, throwing it up on the shoreline or right at the shoreline and bringing it in. Those fish are waiting for something to come off the shoreline or looking for minnows that are right up inside there. Uh, what I found with snakehead is that they, um, they're, um, they don't want to be in big, they'll be in big water, but I think that they're just always pushing up further and further and further and further. They want to be as far as they can into where body of water they're in. Um, but that doesn't mean that, um, like in the spring and the fall, there's like bass. <laughs> they're in the wintertime, they, they're waking up, they're at the mouth of a creek, they're in a, they're in a um, they could be in a stump field or something. And then I'm throwing paddle tails at them, little small paddle tails. I use like to use a, um, a, a VMC quarter ounce jig with a Kitek, um, uh, easy. Um, I just wrote about that on a thing for um, pickerel, but I use the same bait and, and I use the same bait for bass too because I'm nuts about using a um, quarter ounce jig with a four inch paddle tail on it because fish eat other fish and fish eat little small fish. And um, I can catch anything from a crappie on that to a snakehead on that to a rockfish on it. Uh, hey, I totally agree. I like I I do a quarter ounce jig head too uh, for a lot of things. Actually, I got really into uh, surf fishing flounder for with a quarter ounce jig head this year, and I had a pretty incredible year just from the beach with that and a a gulp jerk shad, six inch jerk shad on a quarter ounce jig head. It was it was it's amazing. So I, I like to fish mm-hmm. as light as I can go too, because I agree with you. These fish will take pick off an easy meal. If it's there in front of them, so a smaller, easy meal yeah. might be. Uh, and might be- and you're, talking about, you're talking about walleye earlier. Use use the same jig jig on walleye. Yep. Seriously, they'll, yeah. um, they'll just bounce it off the bottom or put it along the stream in the seam or something. They'll eat it as well. So yeah, yeah. I actually, <laughs> believe it or not, I've been catching uh, a fair amount of walleye on mirror lures. It's like my my yeah. little cheat code because I, I I I have so many of these mirror lures for you know when I go down south for trout and red drum and I'm like. It's a lot like a Rapala countdown. Why wouldn't it work? You know, it, it, it'll has work. Same, it has the same idea. The last three walleye I've caught on a mirror lure have all been, you know, 21 inch plus. So they've all been good fish. So, yeah, you can uh, use a mirror lure also in the Pianca tank or over at the uh, Honga if you're hunting down um, trout. Yeah, they love it. They love it. I love it. I, I, I was, I got to admit that it took me a while to become sold on those, those baits just because like you really got to work the bait very hard to get good action out of it. If you don't, if you just reel it in, it doesn't have a whole lot of action. It's just like, it's mm-hmm. very, uh, very minimal. So it really is user, user. Um, it's all user designed to, to make sure that you're catching fish. It's really up to you to make sure you're, you're working that bait uh, the right way. And I've found that. Especially if you're hunting specs, yeah. they like an erratic move. So if you work it real quick, pull it through. Even a jig, just pull them through. But what I found with um, speckled trout, it, it depends upon the time of day. Depends upon where I'm fishing. If I'm fishing the creeks, or if I'm fishing, um, you know, usually the tributaries uh, for them, I'll use a, a pow tail or a mirror lower and real quick erratic movement on it. But um, if you go out to Sharps Island and they're hanging there around Sharps Island, or if they're hanging around the power plant. Um, throw a half ounce with a five inch electric chicken on it, let it sit on the bottom. If the, t- when the tide's really moving, 
in or out. And then like if you're near the lighthouse, you can see which way it's going. Just cast it left side on the bottom, keep a little bit of tension on your line and let the, the current push that bait down and those fish will pick it right up off the bottom. To all of our Maryland listeners, Eric's dropping some knowledge here. You better uh, be taking some notes. Take some notes. So before we get off the topic of snakeheads, obviously you um, you catch a lot of them. What is your take on the fishery and the phenomenon that's become in Maryland? And, and then obviously the, the, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Obviously you have, we're going to talk a little bit about a position that you hold that to kind of yeah kind of gets into that but what what is your personal take on snakeheads i know you enjoy fishing for them but yeah i i, they, I don't think the state needs to naturalize them yet although they they're going to be because they're basically everywhere um but if you're over at the uh matter woman or in, along the potomac river any of the fishery over there uh they're fished pretty bow fished very heavily so the population is shrunk um but they're in every tributary they've moved up and they're far back into the tributaries they're all the way up, up into new jersey i think maybe in pa um, but, um, they're there as like bass fishing for them. If you know how to bass fish, you can catch snakehead. It's not, it's a no brainer. Um, I don't know why people put too much freaking thought into them. Just go out and catch the damn things. They're yeah. out there and keep what you catch. Um, the, um, they're, the, uh, scientists still, they did a couple reports on that, did a couple studies on it, but, um, not sure where it's going to go yet. Um, they're going to be here. I don't think they're going to be able to get rid of them. You can't sterilize them or anything like that. They're going to be where they're going to be. It may settle out where you'll see more of the fisheries as you see it in the, um, the Matawoman right now, where it used to be heavily, a lot of fish. Now it's kind of thinned out. Um, so it may end up that way. I'm not sure. Um, but our biggest pro bigger problem for the fishery are the blue cats. Yeah. Um, blue cat fish are probably going to hurt the fishery uh, the snakehead are going to are more damage to the freshwater fishery and, and with respect to the native um, small um, minnow type of fish or, you know, like that. They're going to annihilate them. Then they're going to end up balancing things out, which are already already do some of that. Um, the problem with the blue cats is uh, if you go to the James River, I think it's um, they introduced them back in the 80s, I believe, maybe 84 or something like that, maybe a little bit earlier. Anyway, um, the the biomass in the James River is over 70%, maybe 75%, 77% blue cats. And you can't catch from any big, big fish out there anymore because they put them in there so you can catch these big trophy 100 pound fish and stuff. Now they're catching all smaller fish. Yeah, It's probably gonna be the same thing in Potomac River, um, Patuxent River and things like that. It's gonna be, you know, years, you know, it took them, what, 70, 30, 40 years or something to get to where they're at now. So it'll probably do the same here. Blue cats are gonna be detrimental to, the, the perch to the rockfish fry um, and things like that. They're gonna be a bigger damage. So um, what you may see, I'm not projecting this or anything, but what you're gonna see is um, you're gonna see a lot of the fish, fish change. Uh, people will be fishing for, um, the rockfish have multiple problems with that fishery, but uh, the blue cats are gonna be even more and more um, bothersome for them, especially in the Chesapeake Bay, because the Chesapeake Bay is a um, is a nursery for those fish. Uh, those big females come up here, they breed, and then they, of course, they leave. And these um, uh, fry then are just going to be decimated either by global warming or the blue cats or something like that. So. Yeah. And, and going back to walleye one more time, I have had buddies cut open uh, blue cats and find like 17 inch walleyes in their stomach. So that's yeah. another fishery that'll be affected by them as well. Yeah. 
I'm fishing. Um, I go go over to um, Mallows Bay. I'm not sure if you, you fish Mallows Bay. I have not. It is the Rex. It's the largest um, it, out there. It's the largest ghost fleet they call it in the Western Hemisphere. Okay. There are over 200 ships out there that were purposely brought in. They were all World War One ships. They were uh, supposed to be scrapped, but that company went bankrupt or left or something. Left the ships there. Uh, but there's uh, there's some um, maybe a Revolutionary War ship in the water someplace, PT boat there someplace, but most of them are these big victory ships and um, they're offshore. And then on the Virginia side, there's a few ships there as well. But um, if you fit, if you put in and there's a Creek off to the right, that has called the burning basin. They used to bring the ships in there, put a wall in, draw the water out, strip the ship down and then refill it back up by opening up the other end and the stream just automatically fill it in. So today though, uh, and there you can catch, a decent sized crappie. I've caught a seven pound largemouth out of there. I catch some nice largemouth bass out of there. Um, snakehead out of there. Um, white perch out of there. But um, you can also just catch chatterbaits and catch blue cats. Wow. I can go out to the ships and just, and just sit there and cast and just catch, catch some blue cats. It's a crazy thing. Crazy thing that those yeah. fish are becoming out there. Now, you are also a member of the DNR Sport Fishing Advisory Commission in Maryland. Yeah, give our listeners a brief idea of what that entails, um, you know, with ideas for regulations, limits, all that sort of thing. How how do you have us? Do you have any kind of say in that? What is your function? Well, we are I'm actually a commissioner for Southern Maryland here in this area here. And so it's government appointed position. So I'm up right now to be reappointed. I haven't been yet. Um, I terminated in July, but um, they're late in the game and reassigning. So I'm going to assume that I'm going to be another for a four year term. But um, at any rate, we're, like it says, we're the Sports Fishery Advisory Commission, we're advisory. So a lot of the things that come to us are uh, presented to us, and then we'll either have subcommittees discuss it, bring it back, and then advise on what our thoughts are, our constituents wish to have happen to that part of the fishery. And then the state will take that, either, either implement it, or they'll just say, hey, we're going another direction. So we're essentially advisory. So we basically- we do have some hand, but it's limited on what we can do. So you're like the branch between the constituents and the the, the state. Yes, we're the voice. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Essentially, that's what we do. Have you have you had the ability to get anything that was uh, personal to you in place with with what you've anything that you've been able to to accomplish with that? Um, I've been on it since I've been on it, what a year and a half, two years now, because I filled in the position. Um, so. Pretty much I jump on board with other things that have already been rolling down the road and going in place. Um, there are a few things that aren't, you know, that I support that I haven't actually brought up um, uh, that have been, you know, pushed through that, that work. Um, we, the, the problem right now is that with, with the committee, I'm not going to badmouth committee or anything, is that the fisheries portion of it doesn't have a director. They haven't had a director in a few years. There's a big problem with the, that part of the DNR. Um, the secretary, assistant secretary, I believe he retired or quit just recently. So that's a void there. Um, there's positions o- open every place. So, um, along with the striped bass having issues, there's a hierarchy leadership voice that's missing at the DNR. And we're trying to push to have some of that done. And it's like, you guys are advisory. Yeah. Back off pretty much. Right. <laughs> yep. It's a shame. Hopefully, it's hopefully something gets done there before it's too late for the striped bass. That's well. That's- the um, 
the there would be a new governor when 2022 new election some so a new governor will come in reappoint the new secretary then they'll have an assistant and they are looking for a director after four or five years without a director i think maybe less than that maybe three years so hopefully with new leadership whether it's uh, whatever political party it'll be new people in there and they'll they'll move the right direction for that you got to keep in mind though that um the, the DNR, when you look at the biologists, um, I've gone out tagging with these people before tagging rockfish up in um, offshore or up in um, uh, the Sassafras River, you know, you're, we're tagging, tagging big fish and stuff. And they, the biologists, the, uh, the people that work at the DNR, that do this day in day work, uh, day in day out work, um, their hearts are there, they know what they're doing. They are just uh, being pushed, I believe, you know, you got the political piece of it, which is um, they're, I believe, I don't know why they're picking on the, re the recreational guys because uh, it's actually recreational somewhat, but it's gonna be commercial too. Commercial guys are taking fish a uh, big time. It's just like the oysters um, across the ridge over here across the Patuxent River. Um, I guess it was this morning or maybe it was yesterday. Anyway, it was this morning. There are um, 16 oysters boats out there with tongers on it, tearing the bottom up since October. Hmm. Now, how do you maintain that fishery? You could actually, I mean, there are um, oysters that are cultured in farms for food. We don't need people out there raking the bottom out when the um, Chesapeake Bay needs all the oysters that they could possibly have to keep that water clean. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. I, I, I love the Chesapeake Bay. I mean, like I said, my first real fishing experience happened at, at Conowingo. So the, the very beginning of the bay, most people say there. Um, obviously, it's a little further down than that. But, um, you know, my first few striped bass were along the shoreline of, uh, of the Conowingo there. And then I fished the Chesapeake Bay, all different, the eastern side, the, the uh, both, both sides, whether it be Virginia or Maryland, quite frequently now. And, uh, you know, I, I speak to a lot of different people and a lot of different people see, you know, the striped bass um, spawning activity moving more north. Like there's some data that suggests that like the Hudson River and the Raritan and all them are having more spawning success as of late. Um, and it might see a shift from the Chesapeake Bay to a sense uh, more north with the with the spawning behavior. Yeah, Have well, there's, there's there's several problems um, along with um, temperatures rising. Um, I believe up in Maine, they're having trouble with black bass eating um, lobster. Yeah. The lobster industry is being affected there. If you fish here in Maryland, if you fish a few years ago, um, you've always had a few cobia, a few redfish in here and stuff. But now those fish have become part of the fishery where people are fishing from the mouth of the Potomac on a regular basis going out there catching big drum, um, big cobia uh, from there all the way down um, and way down to Virginia, down in the mouth of the bay. Um, then um, you see a lot of pelicans, which are never around. You see a lot of, a um, lot more, you always saw dolphins, but you see a lot more dolphin um, around. So you have all these fish that are um, geographically with the temperature rise, the water temperatures in the bait is all affected by it. So fish are, feed, are following the bait. So everything's moving further north. And I believe, and so you see that, that effect as well. <clears throat> With the striped bass, though, the striped bass have a, um, not only being uh, commercially fished very hard, um, you need to think about um, the taking the menhaden out of the bay. 
or out of the ocean, that's happening as well. So they're taking some of the food source from, I mean, they're not decimating it, which it may be, but I don't think they are decimating it. They're taking a lot of, a lot of the food source out. And then um, I was talking to a, or actually heard um, one of the um, biologists to study on these, that if you notice uh, this last year, last three years, we had a poor recruit for striped bass. It's low, supposed to be 11.5 average or something. We've been down the twos, threes, or something like that, which is horrible. So, um, but what they've said, if you look over the years, um, where you had a really good recruit year, you had really cold weather or a blizzard or something, and you didn't have all, you didn't have a real dry spring. So what's happening is that if you're getting um, springtime temperatures too soon, the plankton blooms, and then it moves, starts moving offshore. But what's happening is it's out of timing with the larvae turning into, the striped bass larvae turning into fry, now, when they're hatched and they're and now the Friday now they're looking for something to eat. It's moved offshore. They're starving out. Yeah. So you have very few of these fish are surviving there as well. So you have uh, that. You have the overfishing, and then you've got all the way up the coast, all the way up New Jersey, up to New York. Um, people just taking um, Connecticut and all that. They're just taking Massachusetts. They're just taking these big female breeding fish all summer long. They're yeah. just taking them, taking them, and taking them. And um, you you can't do that. Um, the uh, Atlantic Sports Fisheries Advisory Commission, or not advisory, the um, commission, they're coming up with regulations, I think, for um, amendment, amendment 7. And uh, I don't know where they're going to go with this or not, but um, I think, personally, I think they need to quit targeting the uh, breeding fish. You can't keep can't keep taking them out of the system. If you take them out of the system, there's not going to be anything left to, 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 to do. And then I believe they also, and to do that, they need to put a slot on it. Yeah, they just need to slot these fish. This is what you can keep from this size to this size, whatever that slot is. I don't know, but don't go outside that slot because we need to protect um, the. There's like three year classes that they want to protect to right. get them get big enough so they come in here and spawn. So you've got the um, warming temperatures, you've got the blue cast going to eat them, and then uh, you know it, it's 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 a bad situation for the striped bass. It, it's quite the gambit that they have to go through to try and, uh, to try and keep the fishery alive, you know, with the trophy season, things like that too. You know, we have, we have up in Jersey, we have the slot uh, 28 to 38, which I think is still, I think it's still too generous personally. Um, you know, I, I think those 38 inch fish are, are prime breeding fish. Um, yeah. I, I don't agree with it. It's something, it's something better than it was, but I, I still, I, I'm more of a fan of, you know, maybe the, we, we have a bonus tag program in New Jersey, which I don't agree with either, but that size of fish um, you can keep, I think 26 inch fish or something like that. Mm -hmm. Something like that might make more sense, but then you're, you're taking out fish before they have a chance to spawn. So there, there's really a lot of catch 22s in this, in this process. And like what you were saying, you know, we, we've seen a lot of Southern fish in the Jersey waters. I, I, you know, I give the illusion that I, I'm from the South because I fish down there so much, but I'm, I'm based in PA and I fish Jersey a lot. I probably fish Jersey more than my own state. And, you know, this year we had schools of tarpon on our jetties, you know, getting speared and things like that, which being it's in Jersey, they're not protected. As wild as that yeah. is, some, some kid, you know, thought he got his glory shot and speared a tarpon up in, up in middle, middle Jersey on the coast there. And it, it was, it was a story quite a big story are they supposed to be there are they supposed to be there i mean we there, there's always been uh rumors of uh, of ghosts of these fish around but 
you know, this is the, the real data showing that there was. And the kid said yeah. he smelled probably eight to 12 of them down there all in that same size range, you know, the 50, 75 pound fish. So, you know, we are seeing yeah, that movement. In Virginia kind of fish. Well. Yeah. Yeah. They're in Virginia as well. Uh, off, not offshore, but in the islands yeah. down there. Um, and people, there's a small um, group of guys that um, are pretty tight lipped about it. And they go out there and, and catch them, but they've been there for years and years and years. And those are probably the fish that are probably moving up. I know a little bit about that fishery because I, I've, I've talked to a couple of those tight lip guys. So I kind of want to target them myself down there before they move out of that area. I've heard there's yeah. some pretty special fish down there in some of those bays and such. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to, you have to know where you're going and because you don't get lost back in there. And then yeah. you got to deal with black flies and all that crap. Also. All right. Yeah. That, that's no fun at all. Now, you, you, uh, as a uh, retired, a retired person here, you wear a lot of hats in the fishing world. You're also a contributing writer for uh, Fish Talk magazine, which I love. You know, I yep. tag you guys on everything because I, I love the magazine every time I'm down there and I, I see when I get one. Um, how often do you get to contribute and what 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 is it? What do you look for whenever you're trying to contribute to the to the magazine? Like what do they seek you out or do you uh, reach out to that's them? My grand, that's my grandson right there. Can't beat that, man. That's awesome. No, the um, I, I contribute. Um, daily i send them fishing reports okay send them fishing report daily um if you, you look in the i'm a contributing writer up obviously for the magazine uh, my name's in there um so i write i do a lot of the paddler's edge okay. i write those i write it up i do reviews on product reviews as well um i do videos for them too um and also write articles probably write an article i'm actually working on one right now for uh, largemouth bass i'm putting together a, a um uh, shoreline fishing for largemouth bass nice. uh, what i've done is you can't see it very well but that's shoreline and where to catch them and that's artwork i did so i'll submit that to them along with an article on how to target those fish and what base to use for that and i got to have that done by the end of uh, december so it could be published in march have you uh, you gotten a lot of relationships being a part of the Fish Talk team? I, I know I've talked to Lenny, I've talked to Zach, um, and then of course you. Uh, what's what's it like being a part of that team there? It's great. I mean, it's fun. Um, the it's amazing. I was, I'm actually going to write a um, an article. I'll probably submit it to um, Angler's Journal. I haven't done it yet, but what I want to do it on is uh, the friendships you make through fishing, because I'm out. Um, I was out fishing a tournament the other day uh, with some friends. I'm on the dock um, talking to a guy and guy goes, Hey, you're Eric. Um, I'm fishing somewhere else. And guys on the shoreline, Hey, Eric P one six, six, nine, you know, they, people recognize me because I got so much crap out there. I got <laughs> stuff everywhere <laughs> to be honest with you. But um, because I, I um, what I did for a living was, is I'm a fire sprinkler fitter by trade fire protection. And okay. I went through four, I went through an apprenticeship program. And then after my apprenticeship program, I was a journeyman and then I did some design and stuff. And then what happened was I was teaching in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then I took the job as director. So I went back to school, got my education in, um, got an associate's degree in industrial training and a BA in education. So I love to talk about and teach. So that's why I like to write about this stuff because I like to show people how to catch fish, where to catch fish. Um, I've actually had guys complain to me because I'm burning spots. I had a had people complain to me that I'm telling them that I'm catching fish at the power plant. <laughs> Everybody knows about it. We know about the power plant up here, man. We all know about that. 
Don't tell anybody about it, man. You don't want to burn that spot. <laughs> Everybody knows about the power plant. I, I hear about the power plant probably three or four times a week, and I'm up here. Yeah. yeah. Well, they were yeah. just recently catching. We were recently catching uh, speckled trout out of there. Because the, the water temperature out there comes out of that plant. It's 12 degrees above ambient. So, you know, if it's 50 degree water temperature, it could be 62. Right. So it goes up and down. And those fish get stuck there and people catch them. But um, at any rate, a lot of people know me just by um, Instagram, um, YouTube. I was on Facebook recently, but I left the um, native um, watercraft. I was a pro staff for them, but I stopped at I, um I don't want anything to do with, I don't want to be on Facebook. I was on Facebook 10 years ago and I got off of it, but to be part of the, um, the team, I had to be back on Facebook and I didn't want to deal with all the, or the, just too much, I just, too much crap. So I dropped off of it, told them I'm just going to leave. Um, anyway, so, um, back to, to, to fish talk, um, writing for fish talk, people recognize me from that and the, the friendships you make. Um, I know a lot of people, people reach out to me and, Hey, you want to go fishing? I say, sure, let's go fishing. And so I'll meet him someplace. We'll go fishing. Um, got a friend of mine now, Brian Mead from um, North Carolina. He met me on Instagram. He comes up, his mom's from Reva. He's from here originally. So he'll come up here. He'll drag his um, his uh, skiff up here, you know, his flats boat. And we'll go on his flats boat fishing for yellow perch. In fact, he's going to bring either that or his John boat up here and, um, in January, and we're going to be fly casting on pickerel on either Johnson's or Smithville. Can't beat that, man. And why not? Yeah, yeah you know, I, you know, the spot burn thing is like a, a catch twenty two. Like uh, the whole idea that you can burn a spot is is important, but again, fish have tails and no homes. Of uh, yeah, know, but, so. but you know, it, I I totally get if there's a um, if it's a small fishery. Uh, I know some small fisheries in some places that have, um, let's say, crappie, for example. And I know the crappie are in this location on this waterway. And if I tell people that they're going to be there, that fishery can be destroyed pretty quick and be gone. Those fish are going to be gone. So I, I totally get that. And I very well control that. And I never report out if somebody tells me not to. Yeah. If they ask me not to, I won't do it. Um, but if I'm saying, Hey, we're catching, um, uh, striped bass off a of point lookout, that's a lot of water between there, Smith point and across yeah. the bay, you know, so then, there, there is that as well. So you can, um, you can be careful with your words and, and protect the fishery. Now, if you're, um, I was just catching brown trout on a little Patuxent. Now those are stock fish. Most of them, you're not going to find naturalized fish there. You'll find maybe very, no, you won't find them there. Um, you'll find them up further up the river, but you're not going to find them down there. I'm catching, you know, I caught two of them, probably 12 inches or better down there. So if I report that out, they're stockfish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're listen, you, I, I've never, I've never seen you report something that was a top secret. So yeah. I, I, I follow your page. I, I think we've followed each other for a couple of years now and I, I've followed you very closely because I respect the work that you do. And then um, I've never really noticed you doing anything that was, it was crazy. So you're good in my book. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, but you, you do get guys that complain that you're burning their spot because, you know, I say the black water um, and the black water is a big body of water. Yeah. If you're, if you're hunting snakehead, but they're everywhere now. So who cares? And, and it, I, I can promise you, you're not the one burning black water down. There's, there's dozens and dozens of other people on the, on Facebook doing that. So you don't have to worry yeah. about that. 
And you can never cover all that water anyway. There's so much untapped water there. That's why that fishery has exploded there. And it's controlled. You can't fish at certain times of year. Uh, right now, some spots I like to fish out there, um, there are um, duck hunters out there. So you can't hunt. They got to block off the fishing. Duck hunters, you don't want to get your head blown off anyway, so stay off the water. Yeah, I like that spot too. I like a couple of those uh, <laughs> duck hunter spots too. Yeah, I haven't had my kayak out to them, but I plan to at some point this year. So there's a couple other spots I know there. I need to try um, where you can actually put it in. It's like one parking space. You pedal down the river, then you portage across the dam, drop it back in, and go on out. And there's some big snakehead back in there. Yeah, I think I've been fishing Blackwater for five, five or six years now. Five or six years. Yeah, I really, I really, it's beautiful down there. I took my father-in-law down there before a couple of my friends. My partner Qua, he's been down there with me. A couple of our buddies. It's, it's, it's beautiful down there. Yeah, it's a beautiful uh, water. Yeah, yeah. So now, now onto the fun stuff. You, you told me you've uh, tackled 41 different species of fish there this year. If you had to pick three of them to focus on next year, what would they be? Three? Come on, man. <laughs> I'm just saying, if, I, I'm, not I'm not telling you you have to. But I know. Uh, I, think, I think I'm going to, um, this year I backed off on the striped bass a lot. And then when I did go out and fish them like in Mill Creek here, um, I was actually looking for trout, but I would um, bend my barb down on my hooks and stuff like that. So I'm just very careful with that. I may even cut, step it back further. And I don't, I don't use any trebles anymore on anything, to be honest with you. I put all single inline on it. I don't lose any more fish than I lot. But um, targeting fish, um, what I what I really want to do is, um, you know, I've, I've caught everything from muskie to walleye to smallmouth. I think I want to concentrate. Um, what my dream trip would be is I need to figure out doing it with with COVID and traveling stuff becoming a problem but um i want to go to canada i want to go up canada um maybe fly in someplace or drive in get on one of these lakes where you can only use um a canoe on it or something a kayak or something like that where you take your stuff in you got to take your stuff back out everything you bring in you got to take back out with you um and go after some big pike big smallmouth that's a that's a pretty good uh that's a pretty good trip there to have. Yeah, traveling to Canada right now is difficult, that's for sure. Yeah, but uh, is even is he even um, open? Um yeah, I think he can go up there. But um I'm not it was closed. Uh, I think he's, I think it's open now. Okay. But um you could do the same thing if you go up to the upper PA or up in um um Michigan. Yep. Up that way, up up around there, you can do the same as that. So yep. That and I like to maybe do some steelhead fishing up in um New York, Pennsylvania. So would, would those be your bucket list fish? I mean, would those be your bucket list trips? Yeah, they would be. They would be. Well, I know you had asked me about the lake trout and the landlocked salmon. If you ever want to join me up here, you have an open invitation next year. Oh, sure. Whenever sure. you're ready, I'd be happy to, to host you on something like that. Okay, that'd be great. I'd love yeah, to do that. Of course. Yeah. I, you know, I'd be happy to. I haven't done it a lot. I've caught plenty of salmon, but I kind of got the idea. So I'd be happy to, to host you on oh, something cool. like that for sure. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up for that, definitely. And if you want to do any fishing down this way, let me know. I, I definitely would like to link up with you. Now, real quick, what is your personal best striped bass? 48. 48. Personal Inches. best snakehead? 33. Either of them from the kayak? Uh, yeah, the, the snakehead is, of course. Yeah. Snakehead. Um, the biggest striped bass I caught, maybe 32 inches off of a kayak, something like that. In fact, I was fishing over here. There's a little pond or not it's a lake it's a tidal lake that comes off of the chesapeake bay in the um the 
uh, ranch estates, Chesapeake Ranch estates. Anyway, I've got access to it, so I can launch my kayak in there. And when COVID, right after the government closed everything down, and then they said you can go fishing for subsistence fishing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can take fish to eat. Yeah. So I thought, well, what the hell? I'm going to go up there and go fish and catch me some snakehead. <laughs> so um, I I dropped the kayak. In. I've never caught one out of this lake, but I thought there's got to be snakehead in there. So, um, and I've actually seen, there's two tiles that are probably three or four feet that stick into the bay and the water from the lake either goes out or if the, the tide's up, water's coming back into the lake. And so it's brackish water uh, so far and then up, up right there was all fresh water. And I catch, uh, I've caught um, crappie out of there up to 15 inches and I've caught large amount of bass, you know, three, four pounds, maybe five pounds, something like that. Anyway, um, I was down there one day and I saw these carp in the bay. There was a school of them. And I had to have been 100, over 150, 200 fish. And they're trying to get up in here to spawn. And they're actually jumping. I'll send you a video. They're trying to jump up in there like um, salmon to swim back inside there. So, in fact, I hooked one and broke a rod one time. Anyway, back to my story. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'd launch kayak. I go back up inside there. And you're not supposed to be out unless you're fishing for food, fish. So I'm casting, casting. And I know there's this hole that holds largemouth bass. So I'm casting for this largemouth bass. And I hook into this fish and it takes off. I literally, I threw a, um, a chatterbait, hit the shoreline, pulled it off maybe about a foot and a half. Something grabbed it. It took off, zipped across um, to my right, pulled the front of my kayak around, then come back up underneath the boat, went the other direction. I'm fighting it. I'm thinking this has got to be the biggest largemouth bass I've ever hooked in my life. I'm fighting this fish, fighting this fish, fighting this fish. And I get close to the boat. Son of a bitch, it's a 29-inch striped bass. <laughs> I netted up. I'm, I should be happy I catch this nice striped bass, but I'm so disappointed that it's not a largemouth, you know, 10-pound largemouth bass, you know, tearing me up. It's like, you got to be kidding me, man. It's, a, it's the worst. <laughs> so that's a great fish, though. It's just, that's a good story. Yeah, but it's horrible. It's, it's a good story, but I shouldn't be disappointed it wasn't largemouth bass, but that's what's in my head the whole time. I'm fighting this fish, my rod's banging down, and, you know, drag is being peel, peeled off, my kayak's being drug around. And bring it up, and it's a rockfish. <laughs> oh, <laughs> stupid rockfish! I mean, rock, <laughs> dumb, dumb bycatch. <laughs> well, Eric, it has been an absolute absolute pleasure chatting with you, my friend. Um, this is where we kind of wrap things up. Um, if you want to plug uh, any of your social media, um, and then obviously you you mentioned that you're an artist. If you sell your work, by all means, mention mention how we can uh, get our listeners in touch with you for that sort of thing as well. Yeah, you said website, but um, just reach out through me through Instagram. That's basically where I'm at right now. Instagram um, don't have a Twitter site or a Facebook any longer. Um, I do have a YouTube site. It's uh, fishing with Eric Packard. The YouTube is uh, Instagram is at Eric P one three two. You can message me through there. Um, I do commission work too. I do. I paint whatever you want to paint. I mean, I do a lot, a lot of different. I do oil paints basically, um, and I do a lot of stuff for um, each year. I donate art to CCA and also Fish for a Cure, which is a good, um, good organization. They um, they raise money to help people with cancer, to not fight cancer, but to help them through cancer. This and that. This and that. It's a it's a it's a good cause. And um, so, if every year around November, Fish for a Cure, look them up. But if you want to reach out to me, um, do it through Instagram or do it through uh, YouTube, or you can just um, you've got my um, contact information. I don't care if you want to share that. So people can um, you know use my email address. For sure. Well, Eric, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for hopping on with me. I'm going to stay on for a moment and wrap up, but hey, thank you so much for joining us, man. I look forward to fishing with you. Yeah. I mean, 
coming down this way anytime we'll go fishing you got it man i plan to cool all talk right i'm gonna stay on and yeah. i'll wrap up but thank you so much okay talk to you all right everybody that was eric packard he's an excellent contact um he's always been very uh forthcoming with uh messages and and always answered any questions i might have um I would definitely follow him. If you have any questions, please do reach out to him. He's a great guy. And then check out his artwork. Um, with that being said, I just want to take a moment to kind of give a little insight on the hows and whys we started this podcast, right? So Qua and I, you know, back in February of this year decided, hey, we, we talked about it for a few months. We decided we wanted to do something to fill a void in this um, mid-Atlantic Northeast area um, because we found that there was a lacking of quality, consistent content. So we had the idea that we were going to come to, to the to forefront and just, just crush content with a lot of different people in the industry. Um, basically, we felt we had the connections to do something about that, and we kind of took Tide Chasers to that, that direction. Um, our goal was, and it remains, to connect new and seasoned anglers, charter captains, lure and bait makers to our listeners. Anybody within the fishing industry, whether you just started yesterday or whether you've been doing this forever, there's, there's, there's value to everybody here. You know, we've, we've had some seasoned anglers, we've had some newer anglers, and guess what? I've learned something from every single person we've had on the podcast, and I've been doing this for a long time. I don't claim to know it all, so... We just enjoy talking to like-minded individuals, um, plain and simple. We did not, will not set out to line up only elite level anglers and industry contacts because ultimately that concept has an expiration date as these elite level folks, you know, I'd say that with air quotes here, you know, they have, they have other commitments, lots of other commitments and other jobs. Um, people are, are, our guests are taking the time to spend some time with us out of their free time. And we really appreciate that. We will have some of those elite guys and then we'll have other people to fill in the, the, the spaces. You know, it's not about talking to the, the best and the, the most, you know, well-known person every, every week, we will have those people, but it's really important to us to connect all levels of fishermen and fisherwomen to, to our contacts and our, our listeners and such. And that, that's what we set out to do. You know, there's there's not a lot of other fishing podcasts recording and releasing weekly episodes to which we've done. So from the beginning, you know, we will continue to connect with like minded individuals on the podcast with all levels of experience. We fully understand that this may not appeal to everyone. However, that's our game plan and it's worked for us as far. That said, if you feel like you have something to bring to the table, reach out. If you know someone who would make a great guest, let us know. As always, we appreciate all of our guests new to the sport or old school guys. And of course, our listeners, without you, there's no us. That wraps up this week. Tight lines, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.